Okay, so today on Friday evening Sangha call, we're going to be talking about Sangha. That in fact, um, I don't have any sleeves, but I think that uh, since uh, Parker is wearing a shirt, he's got something up his sleeves for us today or tonight. Uh, he and I have been talking about, um, let us say, beginning to find a new way of implementing the Open Sangha Foundation. And one of the thoughts that I had was that we as a group can kind of form a squad or a patrol and go out uh, on, on patrol, marauding various uh, groups like Reddit and um, uh, uh, arahot.org and all of those kind of places to spread the whole idea of Sangha and that one of the ways that we can work with that is uh, by promoting people, inviting them to go to the watch. And in fact, that's what's been happening quite recently. That Scott's gone, Joe's already been going. Um, uh, Matt Hopkins just went to the Watt. Uh, and uh, we got good old Eric Zonker. He's up in the corner. He's in his car right now, but he's the, he's the, the, the original Watt dude. He spent months in uh, uh, two different watts, I think, in uh, Washington State. And um, he was actually, in the old days, the proof uh, of a concept. Because um, the Western idea is, is that um, if you walk into a foreign place, like, um, let's say, a witch's coven <laughs> or a uh, sabbat, or uh, uh, crash a bar mitzvah or uh, something of that, that there will be hell to pay or repercussions or something like that. And that we don't understand that really within the context of, of Buddhism, the place that you're most likely going to find a noble or two would be the abbot of a wad in the West. And that these guys are really worth knowing. That all you've got with me is just your, your laptop. That's all you've got. Or maybe even all you've got from me is a cell phone. Nothing real about it. Uh, but Joe has spent time and Eric has spent time. And uh, they're right here. So I would like to uh, give Joe and Eric an opportunity to uh, blow my whistle right now. <laughs> Not my whistle, but blow the whistle of it's good to be around those who really do dedicate their lives to the Dhamma. Absolutely. I can't think of a, a more wholesome place to spend your time other than at a lot around a bunch of nobles. Joe is yeah. in Plum Village. Yeah, and I, I just got, I got back from a week in a uh, monastery in Switzerland. And uh, yeah, I mean, one thing when you're, when you're on the computer or you're getting instructions, 
online, uh, you sometimes don't get these organic experiences that just happen when you're living uh, and breathing right next to another person, you know, uh, those moments that just tend to arise, uh, not, not just amongst the, uh, you know, the noble people that are there that are definitely there and totally inspirational, but also the other lay friends that you're working together in working meditation and sitting together and you're, you know, you're generally, you know, just going about your day, but uh, kind of living in a way that is not the regular way that we're living in the world. And you're all playing under the same rules. And so you can easily point out to each other um, just different tips. And there's just different things that arise uh, in the setting of living together in Sangha that I think it's almost impossible to recreate living on your own. So I, I would highly recommend it to, to people to make an effort to go someplace. It's, it's transformed my life. And honestly, for me, I think that like two weeks is uh, enough, you know, uh, because a lot of people, they work jobs and it can be difficult. But if you can manage to, you know, take your vacation and spend two weeks, you can really see a big transformation. Actually, so that's my little even the way to even start that, because you see, if you think about it from two weeks, then you need to think about finding places who would invite you for two weeks. Right. Yeah, that's right. true. Yeah. You, I mean, I, I went for a week and I saw quite uh, quite a shift from that. And even just going for, for a day visit, you know, it can be a, a real lunch. break. Going for Sunday lunch would be the way to get started. And you would want to do it on Sunday because that's when most of the lay people are going to be there because, uh, you see, in the very, very old days, and in fact, still in, in many places like in Thailand, they still operate with a lunar clock. Which means then that the fortnight is two weeks and the month is basically 28 days, except that when you add the moon to it, it's not always a week, it's seven days, sometimes it's eight days. That the whole, I think, uh, I've seen some evidence of this, that originally the Sabbath was the quarter moon and the full moon and whatnot like that, because it normally is seven, but sometimes it's eight days. And so because of convenience sake, we've lost the lunar and gone back. So enough of with that, the Thai people and the Asian people have adopted that um, uh, Buddha day to be Sunday because that's how it's done. They uh, In Thailand, the Buddha days kind of float through the year as to what day of the week it is. But generally, because uh, Thailand is slowly, slowly becoming more and more westernized and having that seventh day that a lot of the stuff is beginning to convert here in Thailand to do it on Sunday. Um, uh, one of the ways that I saw that was because um, there would be busloads of students from the universities of Bangkok showing up at Wat So and Mok on, um, uh, for, for the weekend. They show up on Saturday afternoon and spend Saturday night and then they'd get back on the bus and spend Sunday night going back to Bangkok. So uh, that's been adopted. So the reason that I'm mentioning this so strongly is because that's the day. Wouldn't you say so, Eric? Wouldn't you 
do, do you Sunday, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Sunday <laughs> is, is the time to go. And then other times later, but to, if you're going to be introduced to a watch, if you're going to go for the first time, just show up at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and you're good. The only thing you have to remember is take off your shoes and put them where everybody else has put their shoes when they took them off. And other than that, you can wing it. But but don't don't stomp in with your clod hoppers. <laughs> That'll give them a wrong impression. Um, but the the point that I'm making here is actually kind of twofold. Is one that I would like all of the guys that I talk to, you guys on Skype and whatnot, to uh, actually take me serious and take me up on finding a local watch. Parker's already started to investigate the watch in Arizona, and he's found that there's quite a lot of them. This is amazing. You'd think of, well, Thai Buddhism and, and uh, Cambodian and Laotian, there's, there's actually watch in the United States? Yes, by the hundreds. In fact, about 400. That would be an average of four watch per state. Actually, there's got to be more watch than that because every state that I know of has at least one watch. And then there's things like California that's got literally a dozen or more. And Illinois, I think Chicago's got like 10. And in the Washington, D.C. area, I know of about six. Charlotte, North Carolina's got four itself. Just in North Carolina, in Charlotte, there's four. And I think in the whole state, there may be... 15, maybe 20 watts, I could count them up. Um, and so uh, the availability of the watch, the problem is, is that they nimbly, they're not well versed in uh, web design. And those who do have a web uh, uh, site, it may be in a, a foreign language and even in a foreign script. And so this is a, a disadvantage, but we can help each other over that. This is part of the issue is, is that people uh, need the motivation to look it up. I mean, Scott was just kind of at a loss. And in fact, in El Sino, California, wherever the hell that is, it's got three. <laughs> and so I think that he's actually been already. Uh, so this is something that I would um, strongly recommend for um, each one of us is to go and experience the what, and then write something up about your experience. And then that's where Parker comes in, in the sense of we, we're getting our squad together. And the first part of the squad is, is to go to your own local temple and find out a little bit about the community and the Sangha, find out who the head abbot is. But in fact, one of the questions, one of the, here's the, the thing to do, especially if it's a Taiwan. If it's a Taiwan, the first thing they say is the name Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, just drop it right on his foot. 
if and that and that will give you all the information you need just look at the expression on his face and that's all the information you need as to whether this guy is worthy of being uh, uh, a mentor for you and so uh, for for others um, not so clear and I, I will tell you that at one time I was suffering under the same delusions that a lot of the other Westerners were. And that delusion that I'm talking about now came down in tiny little pieces. It was like a brick wall that had been built and one brick at a time came out. The first brick that came out was is that in Western mentality, there are no arahats left. And along with that, the second brick is, is that there hasn't been any arahats for many centuries. Well, part of the reason why that's true is because everybody is practicing wrong. So that's the third brick in the wall. Everybody's practicing wrong because if everybody was practicing right, we'd have <laughs> arahats left, right, and center. And then when I ran across Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, I began to say, no, that's not true. There's at least one knowledgeable person who understands the Dhamma that is in the world. And that's where I, we start with is that that's, in fact, the way that people kind of look at Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa <clears throat> from uh, the Western perspective. But then slowly, slowly, I began to recognize that he has students all over Thailand, some of them in the, some of the biggest watch in Thailand. And then later I began to understand that he actually was kind of recruited into the noble group, that he came across this stuff kind of on his own, but not really because he had the poly. But in fact, the whole show is uh, dances around the fact that he was uh, in fairly high levels of poly studies in Bangkok, and he began to argue with his teachers. And I think that arguing with the teachers over what the poly words meant was what was part of his awakening. But then he got caught at it. <laughs> and one of the people who caught him at it was the Sumdet Sangaraj, the prime minister or the king or the president of the Thai Sangha who became his mentor in the 1930s. But his teacher had been uh, royalty. In fact, Vima uh, 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 or uh, Wheela, something or another, I forget his name. It's a really long, weird Thai word that I just never got a hold of. He was born in 1860. And that he, with his brother, Chula Longhorn, by the way, this guy was born to King uh, Mangut. And King Mangut uh, had the son, uh, Chula Longhorn, and Chula Longhorn is the very, very famous king from uh, the 1880s, uh, 90s, and that time. And after King uh, <clears throat> Chula Longhorn died, his son wasn't really old enough to become the king. So he became king in name only, while this monk that we're talking about that was born in 1860, after he with Chula Longhorn completely reformed Thai Buddhism, bringing in the Dhamma Youth Society, getting some education and uh, reforming the whole thing, he then disrobed 
and became the, the top regent or the king himself and stayed there for several years. While he was doing that, he made Bhikkhu uh, Buddha Gosajarn, who was Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's um, teacher. He made him uh, the Samdet Sangharaj. He appointed him to that high office. And so this is what began to dawn on me is, is that the top echelons of the Buddhist monks in Thailand are almost all nobles. It's a noble group. They go by, there's thousands of them. And that they, they know each other. They're friends with each other. They're in Sangha with each other. They visit each other's temples. They send their students to other temples to study under other teachers. We don't have any of that in the West, do we? <laughs> hey, man, you're my student. You cannot go to another teacher. I'll slap you. <laughs> so this is the Western mentality. And that um, we need to come around to uh, the concept of Sangha. Because Sangha promotes nobility. That one guy all on his own, it's really, really, really tough. But if you're associating with nobles, seeing how they respond, beginning to think the way that they do, it's almost like um, it rubs off. You've heard of guilt by association, right? Well, this is nobility by association. If you begin to... Um, associate with nobles, then you will take on the qualities of the noble. And that is quite well known in Thailand that meditation actually is not so important. It is important when you have a whole lot of non-nobles and a few nobles, but when you've got a really good mixture of nobles and non-nobles, the meditation is not so important. Yeah, they do sit together during the uh, after the chanting, about 20 minutes of sitting, but that's not the same thing as a meditation retreat. In fact, I don't know of any monk in Thailand who has done anything like what the Westerners know as a meditation retreat. They don't live their lives like that. And yet many of the uh, Westerners, when they go to a retreat, especially at a lot, they begin to think that all... Oh, this is what the monk's life is like, and I don't want anything to do with this. And so they'll say no to the what because they're saying no to the structure of the retreat. And so this is why I do not go around recommending, oh, we'll go to this retreat or go to that retreat. Whenever a student says that they are going to go to retreat, I'll do the best I can to get them prepared for it so that they don't come out of the retreat saying this is not for me. Because I know, <laughs> I've done many retreats with Joanka uh, and having to develop that strong determination because I wasn't getting any real value out of it. Yes, Joe. Yeah, I, I just thought I would comment there and like just to agree with you because I had that exact experience of doing Goenka retreats a long time ago and thinking, I could never be a monk. This is terrible. And then when I actually went and visited a real place with real monks, I sort of realized 
these guys just kind of chill most of the day. Like, you know, they, they don't, they don't sit here and just uh, kill themselves the same way that it happens at a, a Goenka retreat. They kind of have a fairly easy life realistically because, you know, like these these lady Thai ladies come with food for them and, you know, they go and sit in in solitude in the afternoon and they, you know, they, they just kind of, but they're, they're embodying like the lifestyle every day, day in and day out. And this realization hit me like, this is so much different from a Goenka retreat or any other retreat that is formulated. It's not even the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Joe, you gave away the cleanest little secret that we've got. What's that? The clean, not the dirtiest little secret. The cleanest little secret that we've got is, is that life for the monk is easy. Right. That that um, uh, it's it's an easy life. If you're if you want to be lazy, ordain as a Buddhist monk. Um, but many of the this happened in the time of the Buddha, and it still happens. And that is a lot of guys get the idea that that it's really tough and that they've got to practice austerities. And so the Buddha allowed a few austerities. One of the austerities he allowed was is for monks to go barefoot all the time. That's one of the austerities. But he didn't give a whole long list of them, and he took many of them off. Okay, one example of that um, an austerity is that you can only eat alms food. That you have to go door to door every day to get your alms food. And the Buddha would not take that rule. He says, no, we're not going to have that. That we are going to have occasionally, we're going to have parties. <laughs> like every Sunday, every Sunday, we're going to have a party for lunch and everybody gets to come. So, uh, in fact, the watch could not function in the U.S. if the monks had to go on Vendabai. And so that austerity, the Buddha didn't um, allow. But the, and so there's quite a number of austerities that were practiced. In fact, he was quite good at it. He almost starved himself to death. Getting down from uh, a tiny little bowl of rice to down to six grains, seven grains of rice a day, down to just one grain of rice a day. And that's how he's able to get so thin. But he was also so weak that he couldn't do anything. And he recognized that starvation is not what we're supposed to do. Westerners do, though. For some reason, it seems like that every Western monk that I see, not all of us, because a few of us are not so stupid, but many of them are um, very, very thin, uh, austere. But in Thailand, there's also a lot of plump monks, particularly Buddha Dasu, plump. They eat. They don't have food as an austerity. But what we do practice is mindfulness of eating. That when we're eating, there's only the eating. Watching the hands, watching the food, uh, tasting the food, mulling it through the mouth, separating the juices from the, um, the stuff that needs to be crunched up, watching the swallowing and all of that. It generally takes quite a while for the monks to eat. 
So lunch with the monks is like uh, nearly an hour or so. And yet in the West, how long does it take your average person in um, McDonald's to swap, to scoff down that hamburger and fries? Five minutes? Right. <laughs> All right. Why is that? Is because we're in a hurry. That's one of the qualities of, of staying with the monks and starting to live with them is to recognize that we're not in a hurry for anything anymore, folks, especially in a hurry to become enlightened because you've already arrived there. So. My my idea here is kind of a two-pronged approach. One is, is let's get some of our guys into the watch so that then we know what we're talking about. And then we can start um, promoting Sangha, promoting people going to the watch on these various groups like Reddit and uh, uh, whatnot. But in fact, you guys know more about them than, than I do. The reason that I was introduced to Reddit was because uh, Noah Starbuck, a good friend of mine, was doing that years ago. And what seems to happen is, is that people who really understand the Dhamma very well tend to not stay on those groups. Would you say, Robert, that that's true? That what you find is it winds up being two groups, and those two groups that are on the um, Reddit tend to monitor the two groups of people who do retreats. One is the really, really hardcore group, and these are the ones who wind up being the uh, managers on the groups, the administrators of the groups, and they have the mentality, you've got to do it my way, see? And then the other group is a group of newbies that don't have a don't have a clue about what's going on, but they're willing to tell everybody else what everybody else should be doing anyway. And none of them have any experience with sangha, and so that's where our group comes in: is that we can actually promote a good Buddhism by inviting these guys. Well, why don't you go to your local temple? And they say, well, I live in this city, but I don't know where the local temples are. And there we can go and we can do a little bit of research for them to find out where these uh, temples are for them and encourage them to get into it. This is what we really need to do on the Internet is promote it this way. And so uh, in that regard, what I'm doing is I'm recruiting you guys to join this um, platoon. And the platoon has two jobs. One is the training of the platoon, and that's going to be your visits to the watch. And then we're going to go out on uh, patrol. <laughs> now, one of the ways that we need to handle this is, is that if we uh, are going to do this as a patrol, as a coordinated effort, because all you guys know that when you go out on these Internet groups like Reddit, you wind up getting ambushed. And that's one of the reasons why good Dhamma dudes don't stay is because they get ambushed. But if we can do it another way where it's kind of coordinated effort, and the way that I would say that it would be coordinated is, is that if you 
go on the group and somebody ambushes you and starts giving you trash talk or whatever, the answer to that is don't respond. But let someone else in our group, at least two, respond to him so that we gang up on him. This is the way of handling it. You can think of that as noble or you can think of that as ignoble, but really the higher ratio of nobles that you have, the better it's going to be for these guys. And so um, now I want to um, allow Parker to come in because he's going to be the one that's going to coordinate, uh, how to say it, our um, attack plan, or where are we going to go, or who are we going to go get first? I would recommend that we would start with groups like um, uh, stream entry on Reddit, but that's only because I know it. You guys probably can come up with and help Parker to put a list of uh, places down that would be um, useful for us to go out on patrol. So Parker, I'm going to leave it, let it, you go in now. Yes, Domrado had just uh, brought this idea up to me uh, last night. Um, and since the, I've done some poking around with social media um, and helping with the YouTube and how to promote these videos. Um, I have uh, some familiarity with the Reddit sites and other um, such. Uh, Dan sent me a list at some point. Um, but also looking at it a little bit uh, in my free time. Um, but like you said, Domrado, it seems like a lot of these, um, the main group of people uh, that uh, spend time on these sites, looking through the sites, are people who are sort of uh, undecided with their practice, sort of at uh, um, middle ground. They're not sure what to do. And then there are different groups of people who, um, are they telling them what to do? Uh, some of them uh, might not have the right idea. They might be just as confused. They might just be in the habit of telling people what to do, even though they don't know what to do. Um, others, um, it does, however, seem that there are a few um, people um, that uh, are fairly wise on these groups and do know the Dhamma well. Um, and uh, but it doesn't seem like they're the majority. I'm not uh, there too much to be able to say uh, one way or the other. But um, it does seem like there are some wise folks that do have compassion um, for these groups and think it's a good way to help people um, and spend some time giving thoughtful responses and thorough wise responses to um, things. So I think it would be a wise project and a beneficial project to people. Um, knowing that that's how I found this stuff, that's how I got acquainted with this stuff, and I'm sure the like is the same with uh, many of you, that uh, spending some time um, giving some thoughtful responses to people who, um, looking at that people who say someone's interested in meditation, maybe they found it through a meditation app or something, um, and they're, they're getting some benefits, but not much, and they're enthusiastic to do a little more, and that's really when people start to spend time on Reddit or looking on Reddit is um, the group who are a little more enthusiastic about things. 
Um, so uh, being able to provide some resources with Sangha or um, I think the idea <coughs> of spending time at a uh, Watt uh, sort of popularizing that or having something uh, that people think that's um, if you're interested in Buddhism, uh, that's what to do to go check out your local um, Watt. But uh, the issue is that there is no sort of highway to that. It's People interested in Buddhism going on Reddit and then the Watts, which are populated by monks who speak Thai and don't know much about the Internet. That the role of the monk really is they have this cultural thing in Thailand of monks being uh, sort of a center point for the culture. And so when the lay people come to the U.S., they bring the monks with them. But the monks don't seem to be acquainted with the U.S. culture. And uh, it's enough to just take care of the lay people there. Um, so. I do like the idea of uh, the um, us sharing experiences at the Watt. Uh, Matt, before this call, just posted a great blog post. Uh, maybe we can link that into the description. Um, but he said he had a wonderful experience. He booked a meeting with uh, um, uh, the abbots of a Watt, and he knew very soon into the conversation that he was noble, and this was a person he wanted to talk to more. Um, so helping give the Westerners that cultural background that, hey, this is OK to check these places out because I had a similar experience. I walked in. I was welcomed right away that they said you can go wherever you want or you can sit down and just chill that uh, it's sort of like a public place. If you want to hang out there, it's not like a um, somewhere that's barricaded off. You need to ask for permission that these are people that are welcoming and friendly. And if you're interested in spending time there, um, they'll welcome you. Uh, so I think I covered some ground there, um, but I th um, if I could plug something that uh, uh, whether you're interested in um, going out other sites uh, and talking about Dhamma and stuff, uh, what uh, really would be beneficial now is to continue developing this Sangha and have people hanging out and chatting, becoming friends. Um, joining the discord server we have going uh we have some we've been having some great conversation on there daily um so uh that would be something that i invite uh, any of the youtube viewers here on if you're um say watching the domrado videos you're not sure really what happens behind the scenes and if you're welcome to join these that yes you're very welcome that these uh, uh skype links you're very welcome to come join these skype calls and same with the discord that just join the link and you'll be welcome there and you'll have some friends that uh, would love to talk Dhamma or answer any questions. Mm -hmm. um, actually, you're pointing out several things there, um, Parker. Um, one, the funny one is, is that no, the, the Titan people didn't bring the monks with them. After they got established in the States, they went back and got them. <laughs> sure. That would make more sense. And not only that, but it makes the, uh, in fact, one of the things that I will tell you about is, is that in, in 2002, um, I went with a delegation of Cambodian people for uh, several reasons. One is that there was a famine and they brought rice. But another one was that they were monk shopping. We went to actually to Cambodia as a delegation to find monks. And the number one qualification for the monk is, is that he does not want to come to the United States. Then he's on our short list. 
If a monk says, yeah, I'll, I'll come to the United States, we scratch him right off the list. Sorry, we do not want people to come to the United States because it's America. We want monks who are very, very well established and beautifully set up to uproot themselves and to come to the United States uh, out, of, uh, out of a sense of uh, generosity. And so this, this is something that I learned. It was kind of strange like that because I ran across the monk that had been 10 years and he and I were really, really close friends and he wanted to come to the United States. And that was automatically a no-no. As soon as he wanted to come, he was off their list. <laughs> he also made a, an, another mistake, which I didn't even understand until uh, this happened. And that was is that he invited me into um, the monks' living quarters. And we all got around and were having great big chats. And the very senior monk walks in and says, why is this monk here? He has not been to the abbot. But that's the first thing that a monk will do when he comes into a new lot is he goes and he gets permission to be here from the abbot. Well, this happened to have been the biggest temple in um, Phnom Penh. And it just happened to have been that the abbot was also the some the current Sangharaja of Cambodia. So I've been hobnobbing with some of the top monks. <laughs> I had a really delightful conversation with him because I had already met the actual Sumdet Sangharaja of uh, Cambodia because he lived in the United States. I've got actually some pictures of him. But this was 2002. He was already like in 98, 97, something like that. And so he was uh, uh, like the old senior grandpa that they kind of uh, carried around because he was like a sacred object for them. Um, uh, this is uh, this is kind of the community that we get into. It's um, it's it's actually quite beautiful. The respect that they give to these old monks. But anyway, back to the uh, to the to the next points. Is, is that I thoroughly agree with uh, with Parker that yes, we can develop our own Sangha. That in fact, that's what we're doing. In fact, I am absolutely amazed that we have so many people who have joined. Uh, and I really congratulate each one of you. Thank you very much for being my friend. I really appreciate that. And so we've already got kind of a Sangha going here. Now, one of the things that I would also say about that is, is that Vicky Buddhadasa, if he was the only one that I got any Dhamma from, I wouldn't have much Dhamma. That really, he was kind of uh, there all the time. But most of the teachings that I got were from other monks who were students of his. That this is really the way that it goes, that if um, that it, a teacher himself can get either overwhelmed or aloof. And this is what happened with the Goanka group, that Goanka did not develop a cadre of 15 or 20 young uh, uh, students who were capable of spreading the Dhamma the way that he was spreading the Dhamma. And so even today, even though Goenka has been dead all these years, seven or so, he, um, even in the 
uh, buildup of the organization, they would use videos. And so you didn't even have the presence much of Gomeka. Uh, All you had was the videos. And we didn't have much of a Sangha there. But that's where I found the Sangha was at Wat Suan Mok with Bhikkhu Buddhadasa and Achan Po uh, and Burukzak um, Viradamo and many other beautiful, beautiful human beings that were there to bring me into their club like a brother. It was a marvelous experience. So this is what I would like to see you guys begin to get for each other so that you don't require me, because I'm not all of that available. <laughs> but you guys are available to each other as you please. And so um, this is also why I would like to get you into the watch is because there you will find some Sangha. You'll find some really close friends as well as they're noble and that they can teach the Dhamma to you. And so I would really like to see that. So Parker is right. Let's keep our club going. Let's keep our group, our Sanghas um, working. But we can also expand in the sense of uh, getting into the watch so that we can see what's really going on at a wider level. If you only have it from me, then uh, you're getting a very narrow perspective. Uh, that in fact, some of the really best things that can be taught have to be taught one on one, face to face. And and um, uh, uh, Eric also has one of the experiences that I had that I had a, a, a close relationship with uh, a monk. His name was Ajahn Pasano um, at Fremont, California. He's actually now been promoted to be a sumdet, so he is uh, very very high. But one of the things that I was able to do was to drive him around. California, which meant I had the time to spend with him. So I would strongly recommend this is an end is that you can recommend you can uh, volunteer to the abbot of whatever temples that you're going to and say, hey, if you ever need a ride, let me know and I'll I'll take you. I'll show for you because this will give you time to be with the abbot. And so these are some of the, 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 the tricks um, that we can uh, use to uh, get really familiar with what's uh, happening, what's going on, and get a deeper level of Buddhism. Because most Westerners, they have books and online, and that's all they've got. They don't have real Sangha. They don't have any real communion. And they also uh, get really hardcore because they have the idea that enlightenment is difficult to do. And all you really have to do, I mean, enlightenment is like if you want to be lightened instead of weight, working out so that you could lift more weights, the best thing to do is just set all the weights down and now you're really strong. <laughs> Because if you're carrying nothing, you can carry a whole lot more. But if you're already carrying a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot more may be too much. <laughs> and so this is a kind of a backwards way of looking at it. 
And the Western mentality is, is that they have to work at their Buddhism just like they work at their jobs, when in fact the real point about the Buddhism is to learn to stop working so much <laughs> and learn to be okay. And so this is what I would recommend is, is to go spend some time with these guys who have been experts, have become experts at doing very little or nothing. And so um, back to the idea then, if we can get this mentality, we can begin to spread it as a platoon. Now, one thing that I would mention, Corey, your own, um, that you had said that you would be willing to help with some of the content, going on Reddit and getting ambushed is the best way I know of you getting content put on our website this is one of the reasons why i was thinking about well where can we get uh inspiration for the content for the website and the answer is go stick your hand in the fire <laughs> and so Thank i you. would recommend for you that you actually become part of the patrol who is going to go get um uh some exposure on uh the internet so that you can figure out how to answer questions which will also be a way of figuring out what kind of content that's going to be very um, revealing and enticing to the people who come across our website eventually. Eric, you got your hand up. You're on mute. First of all, I'm a bit conflicted because in our last one on one call, we talked about how most of the things aren't my business. So right now I'm trying to decide if this is my business, but I have opinions. Oh. <laughs> all right. Let us put it this way. Spreading joy is your business. Spreading it on the inside is your business. Number one and spreading it on the outside is your business. Number two. Joining other people's pity party is not your business. Going to that pity party and lathering it with sugary joy, that's your business. Okay, that's the way of understanding it. You have so much stuff, so anybody that you want to help is not your business. But anybody who happens to be in your way when you're out there uh, spraying your joy juice, they just happen to get hit with it. <laughs> yeah, I, and so that's what we're recommending about. here is to go for that joy juice and we can find it at the watch does that answer your question in a uh, very short quick way yeah but that was just like a quick uh, segue into i wanted to talk about what the strategy you're proposing with parker and i think that one possible uh inconvenience with that uh first scouting and then recommended recommending the the places we verify let's say to people that show interest in that is that uh the people that are interested may not be in the vicinity of the areas of the what's that people of our group scout and so that i was thinking of other angles that for example uh we could or 
someone in the group could get in touch with people from the Watts that do something social media related in order to maybe build bridges between these people and people that manage uh, Reddit platforms and things like that, or maybe set up um, capacity building sessions to make them more right. social media savvy so that they I can agree. get in touch mm -hmm. with the people that yeah, are I in their vicinity. I would agree with that, but I would agree with it in the sense of using a rifle rather than a shotgun. Now, what I mean by that is, is that your idea of the shotgun is, let's just go talk to the watch and find out what's going on with them and gather some data that way. That's the shotgun approach. The rifle approach is when we find someone who really does want to go to the watch, now we've got one guy and we can help direct him to a watch. And if he actually is thinking after he visits that watch several times that he actually would like to move into that watch, that's when Robin and I will come on with our Thai language and whatnot and, and open that door through the Abbott. Okay, because we do have um, that, that inroad already into the Western uh, tradition. And believe me, the abbots in the United States, by and large, know each other, not all of them, but let us say that the, the connection ratio would be like down to two or maybe three. So that if, if, the, if these two monks don't know each other, they certainly know a third one between them who knows each other. And it's, it's, a, it's a network like that. And so this is how they communicate. In fact, I have seen them communicate about me that I've got this idea and all of a sudden that monk in that old video way over there, he knows all about it. <laughs> because they're, um, uh, they're, they're sharing that kind of thing. So yes, if we find a, uh, a guy who actually wants to go uh, move into the Watt and live with the Watt, that's when uh, we would come in and get him into that network. Just like we did, uh, Eric, is that not exactly what we did with you? Exactly. Got you right in there. Exactly. So we <laughs> got into Achan Tanit, and Achan Tanit got into Achan Reed, and Achan Reed got him into the Achan that he first stayed with. And it was that kind of hopping along that way. Uh, and so now that we've already made contact with uh, Achan uh, Tanit, who is uh, the abbot of what, uh, well, he's almost the abbot. The old abbot is still there, but this guy promotes almost all of the watch uh, activities, Achan Tanit. And uh, we called him first, and he knew Achan Reed in uh, uh, what uh, Atamayatarama is the name of the watch. And, uh, uh, and so he sent then, and so Eric has already gotten involved with that. This is the way that we would want to uh, do it. Joe, you're in France. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say something about the reason behind why uh, maybe the social media and the website is not so great. Is if you think of like how these places are um, are run, it's generally just like lay friends who are staying there long term who are doing the website and the social media. And to be honest, a lot of them are already like really overworked. Uh, just keeping up with donations from people and arranging different retreats. And it's kind of crazy, really, and uh, just because of the way that it is. So I, I wouldn't really expect that it's going to get better. 
uh, because I think if the website is done too well, like it, it might not even be a place that you necessarily want to go. I mean, it's not, you know, a guarantee and things can change, but, uh, you know, <laughs> if they're spending all their time making a really pretty website that like, I, I don't know. I understand exactly what you, you're saying. Exactly. Um, that if the website is too well done, then that may be an indicator of that this is not a what that is going to be all gamma all the time, that they're in the business of it. But that doesn't happen very often. And not only that, but there are also very large watts in the sense of like what Washington, D.C. has little thousands of people associated with it. Quite a few of them would be good at websites, and so they would go off and work together with that. And that would not necessarily then speak uh, badly of a watch. But when there's only one guy, the only Westerner who has anything to do with that wad is also doing the website, then that means that he might need a friend. <laughs> the, the the other thing that I would say related to this is for people that um, have have they just are secular and they've never been to uh, a wad or anything. Just when Camarado mentioned to go at ten. Uh, it's just because the lunch is generally at like noon uh, or a little bit before that. And uh, it's just a good time to show up because if you show up in the afternoon, you're generally not going to see anybody and it's going to be confusing. <laughs> right. And so like, you know, there's there's like a morning session and an evening session or whatever where you get together and chance and sit for a little bit. And the kind of the lunch time is the main sort of time when everybody comes. So that's why you would go at 10 and also to not be too intimidated by you know the bowing and the statues and things like this i know a lot of people come into this very scarred from christianity and they start to see some like religious things and start to wonder a little bit but you know it's just a, it's just a cultural thing and you know you don't have to uh you don't have to bow if if you don't feel comfortable you can nobody really cares they're not going to pressure you into doing something that you're not comfortable with that's about it. Mm -hmm. So, does anybody have any um, other comments? Chris, do you have anything to say? I, I, I see you're really enjoying this conversation. Yeah, I have one question. Yes. Think my wife, think my wife will have a good time? Pardon? Did I bring my wife along? Yes, absolutely. Yes, you can. Um, that would be really good, in fact. Uh, you might, in fact, give her a little job to do before you go, or give her the job to do when she's there before you go. And that is, is that she, uh, she should, because she's a woman, she'll be involved with that part of it. The point that I'm making here is, is that the women run these watches anyway. And so her job is going to evaluate the women. And the way to do that is how much food does this woman bring? Is she bossy? Is she in the kitchen? Where is she? And there's going to be three or four of the women, the Thai or Asian women, that will be the ones who are the, the wives of the elders the deacons or the uh, uh, the main supporters, because um, 
all of the finances and, and everything about these watches is all done by the lay people that the monks don't have much business to do. And they don't involve with the money. So the money of the what is going to be done by a group of men to do what their wives tell them to do. So you go, you have your wife go find out who those women are because those are the ones who run the what. That, that's a kind of a secret about Asian society is that the old ladies run the what. In, in general, okay. I've, I've noticed that there's there's almost more women in general uh, at temples I've been to than than men, just as a general rule uh, that a lot of the long term lay friends are generally women. So I, I think your uh, partner will have no problem making making friends there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, um, Robert. How about you? Do you have anything to say? I got two Roberts here. Whichever one turns your microphone on first. Uh, not at the moment. Just just listening. Thanks. Um. Okay. Yeah. No. Same here. Pretty much. It's been a really good chat, though. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. All right. So the last thing that we'll do then is, is that we will set up a new Skype group that will have something that I named something like the Sangha Patrol. And I invite you guys to go join that because this is the group most specifically that's going to be uh, associated with both the um, joining or going to the watch so that you can talk about the watch that you went to uh, there but we can do that on the other one. But the main reason for this is to coordinate uh, with each other so that uh, one would say, I just was on uh, this particular list and got this particular response from this particular person. Why don't you guys go and see what you can do with him? Okay, that's uh, uh, this whole idea of working together that I've seen that happen in, in the watch in many, many ways. If a particular monk has a particular issue, he may talk to one or two monks, but eventually all of the monks are going to know and all of them may in fact go and have kind of a little meeting with him. And this is the way that we can do it also on. Uh, so if you individually are out on the website, and someone trashes you or argues with you or disagrees with you or whatever like that, normally the only option is to either um, answer back in the tone that he is in or not answer at all. But here I want to make sure that we've got Sangha going so that when someone does give you a hard time, you don't have to answer him. Just tell other guys to go see what they can do with this. And so you can have four or five people gang up on him. And disagree with him in that kind of way, kind of talk him into uh, looking at it from a different angle. This is the kind of thing that we don't have enough of on on Reddit. That's why uh, people don't seem to get much value out of Reddit. But if we could team up on them, this is what I'm hoping to do. But like I said, Parker is going to coordinate which areas or which groups we want to get to. And uh, uh, the, the group that was Robert and Corey were on and Brandon 
I think would be a good one to uh, go back to. Now, the last thing that we can mention is, is that this is not about Damarato. This is about Dhamma. If you want to talk to, about me or mention my name, you can do that in, with others also. One of the things that I would highly recommend also is for the students on these groups to get in touch with people who actually are on the internet, but I'm not the only one, but the old website, in fact, if Tyler were here, uh, he was in, in the beginning, uh, Tyler already has scraped the email addresses of those teachers who have already volunteered to do Skype calls. And there's about eight of them, including Dan and uh, 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 Beth, and some others. And so this is also uh, one of the things that we can do is to recommend these guys on the internet to go actually talk to someone who is in the position of having these kind of calls as opposed to just getting information from some random person off of the Skype or excuse me, off of the, uh, the websites. So this is the way that I would like to see it is, is that, yeah, it's, it's okay to mention my name or uh, even invite people to do it, but don't make this exclusively about Tamarato, that this is really more about Sanda, by getting people involved with good teachers, getting them into the watch, getting them also uh, some decent advice about Dhamma and Sanda the way that I was talking about, because we've got several people who are going to be answering those questions. That if you uh, do it one-on-one, -on -one, then the two of you are going to go round and around like this on it. So it's better to get several of you involved with it to, uh, to establish a position, which is possibly more noble. <laughs> Okay, Todd, do you have anything to add? I don't think so. I was just looking up to see. Well, I guess the one thing I could ask is, um, you know, I, we have two places kind of in the area that one is, I think, actually a watt, and then the other one, I don't know. It, it says it's something like that, but it seems to be just like a small house with a bunch of children, and they do something in the basement. Which sounds much more nefarious than I'm sure it is, but um, but like I had reached out to them because they were the closest one at one point. But everything is in Thai, and I never heard back from anybody. You know, months later, and then the other Watt that is like 45 minutes from here that looks more, you know, reasonable, and and you know, established is. Um, they have no website at all, and there's like no information about them other than, you know, a bunch of pictures that look really nice. So are there issues of. Like, like. Language barriers in general beyond I know you had said, like, you know, maybe the Abbott wouldn't speak or something, but but do you find that there are problems in in having. Um, you know, useful dialogues and stuff with with people there all right here's here's the issue that that we can talk about on that level and that is that the people who who attend the what who go there on the weekends 
who uh, support the watch. They live in the United States. They speak English to whatever degree, you know, let us say from 50% up to 100% English. But they go to these watches and have the watches kind of a cultural center where they can go someplace and it's all Thai all the time. And in fact, one of the things that I noticed about the Laotian watch was that the women there will go way out of their way to get uh, what I would call uh, not roadkill, but the weeds that grow beside the road and cook them. Why? Because those are the authentic Laotian dishes. If they want Laotian stuff like that, an example of that is, is that Mexican food without jalapeno peppers but have Thai peppers is not Mexican food. If you're going to have Mexican food, it's got to have Mexican ingredients. I'm not even sure a Thai chicken will give you a good egg. You've got to have a Mexican egg. <laughs> but this is the point that I'm making here is that they use these watch as a cultural institution, and that frightens the heck out of most Westerners going in there because they don't even understand that most of these people here speak English. They just don't want to. But they will for you. And then the what the abbots would go somewhere between zero English, which is very rare, up to about 50%, which means good enough. So with that, I would say that there really is no language barrier, that the language barrier, because of the way that I've described it, is perceived. It's a perceived language barrier. Because they're actually, uh, it, it's there for the Asians. They built it. They wanted to be a culture center. In fact, I have seen, um, in some cases, the argument between is this a cultural center or is this a what? And that comes to which place do we go to drink beer? <laughs> because when they're drinking beer, they're in a cultural center, and when they're in the watt, they're not drinking. And so that's part of the issue that, that has come up in several watts that I know of. And, and um, so uh, in that regard, that's the issue, is, is that they want it to be a cultural center. Dhamma is, um, in fact, the Buddha recommends that the Dhamma should be learned in, uh, by the, the local language of the student not the language of the teacher and the and the uh the abbots know this and this is one of the reasons why they really want you to come to their wat and spend some time in their wat because you now have really good native english and you're really interested in the dhamma and so when you wind up saying well you know wouldn't it be like nice if we had a weekly meditation class in english and the abbot, guess how many of them are going to say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> Not a one of them. They're going to jump on the chance. They would really like to see the Dhamma spread into the West. Okay, so there's really not a cultural bound. Uh, the cultural boundary is there, and part of it is the language, but it's really not that much of a boundary. And we need to help people understand that, that it's, there's not much to it. Matt, oh wow, I'm glad to see you. Come on. Hello, Good to see Matt. You, Don I Rato. heard that you just went to the Watt. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about going to the Watt. Good. 
So I'm glad that you're on. You came on a little bit late, though. <laughs> we were about yeah. to finish up. <laughs> That's all right. So um, if you would go ahead and, and review this video, um, uh, rather than me repeating to you everything that I've already said to everybody else, uh, though the Dhamma is good when it's repeated. <laughs> so um, thank you for showing up. Do you have anything? Tell us what you did when you went to the Wat. What happened? Uh, well, the abbot, I mean, he just took care of everything like you do. Like he, he didn't make us talk too much. He did the talking and, uh, told us his understanding of the Dhamma and, you know, everything was in line with what you said. Uh, he laughed a lot. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's really a happy guy. So that was good to see. Hey, Scott. Hello. Dom Rado was just responding and he just froze. Oh, okay. That's why I came in. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what was the process like of you getting a meeting and you getting in there? You wrote that in your article, but it might be helpful to uh, mention that in the call and video here. Sure, yeah. You just look up a Thai Watt and you call the phone number. Uh, say you want to learn some Dhamma and see what time would be a good time to show up. Then you show up. It's all about showing up. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Scott also recently visited uh, a temple, so maybe Scott can talk about his experience too. I did. I went to... Uh temple um near san diego and it's kind of just like really minimalist like there was like one it was like in the forest of trees or like it was like tucked away and like a dirt road like a long winding dirt road into this like tucked away place and then there was like uh, um a couple like structures with buddha statues in it for meditation and then the bare amount of like quarters possible and when i went the main guy wasn't there but like um i talked to a couple of monks and they're really welcoming and stuff so that's cool i ended up helping them do stuff like i helped them unload unload a bunch of books off of things and then i was helping them <laughs> with the yard work so that was my uh that was my sila or whatever my my sila <laughs> Hi, Dom Rado. Hello, Scott. Good to see you. Glad to hear that you went to the Watt. That's that's really great. We've that's that's what this talk has already been about. Is uh, uh, this is uh, the day of invitation to let's go to the Watt. And so here you have Matt has just been to the Watt, and Scott's just been to the Watt, and Parker's just been to the Watt, and uh, Joe is already familiar with going to Watt, and wherever Eric is. He's our star of the show for that. He's been living at the Watt in uh, Washington for a while. So anyway, Scott, glad to see you. Yeah, I uh, I just poked my nose into the door. Um, I met 
the I had a brief conversation with a, a Thai monk. Um, he didn't speak much English, but I could tell like he was pretty noble. Like I could just sense it. Um, there was a couple other monks where um, they're kind of like they like um, wouldn't like really uh, get like if you like waved at them, they would just like kind of like shrug you off or like just go like this and like walk by you. Um, but uh, it was like a mixture. There was like uh, I didn't meet the main guy, the main guy of the temple um, who has some YouTube videos, but. Uh, yeah, that's about it. It's um, the what uh, Tenisaro is at, right? Uh, John, yeah, is yeah. that what Joe and you were talking about? I think you've been there, Domrado, haven't you? Which what is that? Uh, with Ajahn Tenisaro? What Meta? Yes, what, what Meta. What meta. I spent, yes, yeah. I, I had been there, gosh, 45 years ago. At that time, it was still an orchard, an avocado orchard. Yeah, Who has been to recent? Anybody been what? to White Mecca? Eric, you stopped by there, didn't you? Uh, no, I went to uh, Bayagiri. That, gotcha. White Mecca is not a place you stop by. It's a place you <laughs> climb to. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of tucked it away. It is way out there. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of Mount Polymer? It was one of the most famous um, observatories. They built Mount Polymer to get away from Mount Wilson because in the old days, Mount Wilson had too much light pollution. So they went way out of the way out back in California and built Mount Polymer Observatory. Guess what? It's got too much light pollution now. <laughs> but... That's where Achan Tenisaro's Wat Meta is located. It's about five miles or so from uh, Mount Palomar. So it's way up in the mountains, way up in the outback, way up in the um, uh, deserts of uh, uh, Eastern California outside of San Diego. It's not a place you drop by to. <laughs> yeah, it was not too far from where I'm living, but it, it was like... 20 minutes down the freeway and then 40 minutes on like backcountry roads like winding through the hills and stuff so it was like only an hour drive total but it's kind of tucked away in a weird spot that's right in the past 25 years california may actually have paved a road or two yeah there's a couple of roads <laughs> but i but i think in fact when i remember it the uh the dirt road that was about 15 kilometers or so off of a paved road, this dirt road was perilous, really perilous. Yeah, but I think they, they developed it. They, they, definitely, they definitely developed it a little bit more. Like there was a lot more road, and then just the very last section was a dirt road, but it was mostly road. Well, I'll just have to keep the memory that I've got. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I spent several weeks with Achan Tenisaro way back when, back in the 90s. Um, and in fact, 
I would say even though the Dachantanisro is Western and he still has a lot of Thai people who were associated with that lot, as well as in fact, I think the land that was purchased was purchased by a Westerner. And it was put out there as a, an intentional forest monastery where most of the watch uh, that are associated with the Thai people, those watch are built close to the Thai people, wherever they are. But um, Wat Meta is a clear example of uh, uh, intentionally uh, remote. Um, actually, there's a really, really big, there's several, but one of them really big what in, in Los Angeles that has all many years ago, 20 or more monks. In fact, uh, uh, the one in Fremont, California had about 20 monks. Now that's a lot. When you've got 20 monks and a lot in the U.S., that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> Which means you've got plenty of opportunity to hobnob with nobles. So, does anybody else have any parting words with this conversation? Anybody uh, got anything? I could, Go I could just mention the, the name of the place that I went to a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, Dhammapala in Switzerland. And uh, outside of the summer months, they said like in the fall and in the springtime, uh, it's very, very uh, easy to stay overnight. Um, and after you do one stay there, uh, you can stay longer. Um, all you have to do is help out with dishes and uh, some chores, easy chores. So for somebody that doesn't have a job or is just looking to practice, uh, you know, you basically you kind of live like like a monk. So it's a, it's a good place to try it out. And uh, and I know that they um, they would like more people to come um, was generally the feeling that I got. Uh, so just for anybody in Europe, uh, it's, it's really beautiful. It's in the mountains in Switzerland. So. Oh yeah. When I was at Wat Meta, it was the same way. Like anyone could just, like there's a guy that had just gotten there last Saturday and he was just, he just took a bus and Ubered there and now he's staying, like staying there full time. But like, and then there's a guy who's been living there who isn't a month, a monk for like eight months and like. If I wanted to, I could have stayed there for the night if I wanted to, but yeah, I'd probably be sleeping in a tent like they have it. So where it's like there's like different platforms with like tents. So. <laughs> well, tents fit in well with the old style of the Buddha uh, that in fact what you could say that um, the average monk in the time of the Buddha and since then all the equipment that he has is actually camping gear. Even the big Sangati, the double robe, can be made into a tent. They also carry umbrellas, and if you have the uh, the Thai kind of umbrella, it actually has a um, an addition of a wet uh, a webbing that can fold out so that the tent is. Uh, uh, Without a centerfold, you can actually tie it to the to a limb of a tree, and then your your uh, umbrella and the netting is your tent. And so, uh, when we have modern camping tents, that's just par for the course. That just fits right in with the teaching of the Buddha. 
and so naturally uh, 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 a lot. You would say, oh, well, we we don't have any more beds, so we're full. No, tents are what? $15, $20. Bring okay. a tent and stay. You can mm-hmm. find enough place to put out a tent. And so uh, it's very hard to uh, for the Watt to say, oh, we can't take you because we don't have room for you. Because right there's room. <laughs> right there. <laughs> there's your spot. There's a spot for you over there. And that's all you need. And and so, yes, tenting, that's the way uh, of going. In fact, that would be a really easy way to do a retreat. It's just to take the guys camping, take the, take the ladies camping. Put the ladies' tents over there and the men's tents over there. Got a retreat. I know uh, Lawrence, our friend Lawrence, is going on a, a camping solo retreat into the forest. You mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. pretty much like camping, isn't it? Like a retreat. Yes. Going camping, I highly recommend it. So does the Buddha. Go to the forest, go to a foot of a tree, go to an empty hut, get away from it all. And if you're going to a forest, take some camping gear and have fun. Yeah. Eric and Robert and uh, uh, Keyshawn know all about that. <laughs> Good to see you, Eric. Good to see you, Robert. Mm. All right. Does anybody else have anything to finish with? How about you, Parker? I already had mentioned it in the middle of the call, but if anyone would like to join these calls, they're welcoming everyone just in the links in the YouTube description and also the Discord. Um, and these calls are available in podcast form. They're uploaded a few days later, um, but they're all uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, whatever. Uh, so oh, wow. just see them in the description. Yes, if you need any help with that, now is the time to uh, uh, get people involved with that kind of stuff. The way that I look at it, uh, is is that the more stuff you do that's associated with the Dhamma, that stuff is almost as good as sitting in meditation. That you get great value out that's of that's a good point actually. It. That um on the Discord uh maybe four days ago, something like that, uh Cathal had just asked me um if there are any volunteer things he could do to help out. Um, so there are now lists on the Discord. If you want to help out, there are things that are really easy to help out with. Um, just check that out. Uh, there'll be some directions there if you join the Discord. And if